Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This episode of The Commons is sponsored by New College Franklin. At New College Franklin, students and professors together find their place in an educational tradition that stretches back for ages, returning to tried and true educational practices and texts that have been discarded for too long. Through a robust exploration of the great books and the classical seven liberal arts in an environment of rich conversation, shared life, and spiritual discipleship, new college students see how they fit in the unfolding story of redemption. Take the next step in your education and join the conversation in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee, Come for a preview weekend or schedule a visit at your convenience and continue building on the educational foundation you've started. You can learn more at www.newcollegefranklin.org. That's newcollegefranklin.org. And now, The Commons with Brian Phillips. Hello and welcome back to The Commons. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. This is episode four, and today I am joined by author Karen Marsh. Um, I'm talking to her about her recently released book, Vintage Saints and Sinners from IVP Books, but very specifically, uh, one chapter from that book in which she talks about uh, the life and influence of St. Augustine, perhaps one of the most well-known theologians and thinkers in uh, the history of the church. Uh, But in addition to talking about St. Augustine, we also talk about the influence of his mom, uh, Monica, or St. Monica. And so uh, for all of you tuning in, whether you are doing so because we're talking about Augustine or whether you happen to be uh, a parent, um, particularly for a big section of our audience, homeschool mothers, um, uh, I think that you're really going to enjoy this episode as we discuss uh, the life, influence, uh, and and even struggles of both St. Augustine and his uh, very godly praying mother, uh, St. Monica. So hope you enjoy the show. Well, Karen Marsh, thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to have you on the Commons. It is my pleasure to be with you, Brian. Uh, now today we are we're discussing Saint Augustine, who's one of the most well-known um, church fathers um, in, from the fourth and into the fifth century. One of the greatest theologians and philosophers, really one of the greatest minds in the history of Western civilization. Um, and before we get to him, I want to ask you a bit about your your recently released book, uh, Vintage Saints and Sinners from IVP, IVP Books. Um, in that book, you discuss 25 Christians who had an impact on your own life. And I, I thoroughly enjoy reading biographies myself, uh, biographies of the saints and particularly church history. 
And I really enjoyed how you combined um, both biography of these Christians and also autobiography uh, in your book. So, so Karen, take a moment to tell us a bit about the book and what drove you to write it. Well, it's a book people ask me how long it took me to write the book. And, it, and in some ways, it's taken me about 13 years to write the book in that every Friday um, for 13 years, um, I have hosted a group of um, college undergraduate students here at the University of Virginia. And I make a big homemade lunch um, and we gather in the living room of the Bonhoeffer house where I live with my professor husband and my family and our dog. And we sit around uh, the fireplace this time of year and we talk about the lives and stories of witnesses from the Christian tradition. So every week we highlight a new um, saint or a sinner saint, as I like to say, and just look at their lives read their words, think about their times, and ask questions. What did these people struggle with? What did they believe? And what do they have to say to us today? And I have found that for undergrads, and I think really for all of us, that stories are so powerful. You know, we, we, we live so much in our heads. Uh, we talk so much as Christians about doctrine and ideas and you know, intellectual beliefs, that it is really powerful and refreshing to look at lives, to look at people and the choices they had to make and how they followed God in their own times. So it's it's mm -hmm. been a growing love of mine. I love these uh, these people from Christian, the Christian tradition, because I find that, you know, there's something in all of them for each of us. And, and it, it allows us to use our imaginations and to um, kind of take a fresh look at our own lives and, and our the, own, the, the questions that we ask of ourselves. Hmm. And so the book rose from uh, sort of the, the lives that you were studying together with these students. That's right. So every week it's wow. a different person. Last week it's yeah. Advent. Now we read about the real St. Nicholas, which is um, really fun because not many of us knew much about the real St. Nicholas. Um, right. Yeah. So there's, there's this educational angle. And I think too, I have found that for undergrads, um, many of them grew up in, in Sunday school. They grew up in the church and they come to college and they're taking courses and maybe some of the religious studies classes they take, shake them up a bit or personal experiences they have, um, put them in some kind of conflict or question about their faith. And they really need a good, safe place to talk about um, what they believe and, and how they're their faith is becoming their own. Um, and these mm -hmm. saints allow us, I think, a lot of room to see there are many ways to follow Christ. There are many ways to be a person of faith. Um, and it just opens up a lot of possibilities. And it's, it's it has that intellectual angle that I think students often um, are drawn to. Right, right. That's wonderful. Um, and, and just one of those 25 Christians you discuss in your book uh, is St. Augustine. Uh, and and you begin the chapter on on Augustine with what I think is a very important point, and it it relates to what you were just describing these these sessions uh, lunches with the students, um, namely that we're often we often forget or miss that the saints gone before us were actual people, um, you know, with yeah. <laughs> with flaws and sins and struggles and. And some of them even had really checkered pasts. Um, so why is that realization particularly important when it comes to St. Augustine? Oh, 
Well, Augustine is the perfect saint for a college student because uh, if you had met Augustine as a freshman in college, you never would have made him out uh, to be a saint. And uh, I just find his story um, so fascinating um, because he was a total party animal. He, he, his mother was a Christian. He'd grown up in this small town in North Africa, and he went to the University of Carthage ready to party. And he did, he rejected his Christian past and um, just loved all the, the carnal pleasures of the university and also loved the intellectual life at the University of Carthage. He studied rhetoric there and was very, very bright. Um, and so at the University of Virginia, you know, we've got a lot of really smart kids here, as you know. Um, we're right off of the Bonhoeffer House is right off of Rugby Road, which is the the hotbed of fraternities. And so to talk about Augustine, you know, he's like a guy they know, um, at least the college version of Augustine. And I, I just, mm-hmm. again, I find it reassuring um, for kids who are maybe on the fence about their faith or not sure to say, look at this guy, you know, he he's one of the great saints of all time. And yet when he was your age, he was really struggling with what kind of life he was going to live and what kind of choices he was going to make. So, and it, I just find it kind of amusing too, um, in a way to, to think about him. He was in, actually in a fraternity called the Wreckers. Um, so, you know, yeah, he's one of us for sure. Oh, really? Okay. Now I, I have to admit when, uh, when I read that part of the chapter, um, I thought that that was sort of poetic license. Like you're just sort of setting the stage. I didn't realize he was actually a part of the frater- of a fraternity yeah, called the Records. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably the um, the he's pr- the Records probably do not exist now on the campus of of University of Virginia or anywhere else. But no, they were a real they were a real group. Um, and I have a feeling they were even wilder than than the guys here on Rugby Road, from what I hear. Oh boy. Uh, well, we let's not go into that. Um, <laughs> Um, now you, you mentioned that, uh, St. Augustine had a, uh, a devout Christian, uh, mom. And so behind Augustine's, uh, sinful days was a praying mother. Um, his mother, Monica, uh, was deeply worried about him, of course, um, understandably so given what we've just talked about, um, his, uh, sort of rebellious days, um, when he was young. So uh, at one point, she even went to her bishop and asked him to talk to her son. And the bishop's response is a bit surprising. So how did the bishop respond and what did he tell Monica to do? Well, I love the bishop because I think he has a wisdom that many of us who are helicopter parents um, can hear, need to hear very well because, yes, she was frantic that her son um, was stepping away from her Christian faith and rejecting it. And so she went to him sobbing, really, and he said to her that force was pointless you know, you can't drag, and we all know this, anybody with a teenager, you can't, you can't drag a kid to faith. And he said, let Augustine be where he is and only pray that the Lord will save him. He said, it cannot be that the son of these tears should perish. So I love the wisdom, the, the advice, you know, give him his space, but pray for him and, and know that God honors your prayers and your faithfulness you know, have patience and pray. Um, and, you know, it was, a, as we know from the story, it was it was a number of years before Augustine finally 
really return to to Christ and to the faith. And in the meantime, she just had to stand back as we all do as parents and and watch him make his mistakes and and find his way and let God do God's work in his life. And that is that's such a beautiful line. It it cannot be that the son of these tears should perish. Uh there's um there's a lot to hang on to there. That's that's wonderful. Um now this of course required a great deal of of patience and perseverance on on her part. Um and as she's continuing to kind of watch her son um continue down this path, there's there's Monica in the background, so to speak, um, praying for him all along. Um, one of, one of the moves that Augustine went through, um, after, uh, his education, he was, a he was brilliant, uh, despite being, you know, a fraternity boy, uh, he, his, his, um, uh, his brilliance was recognized and then he moves to Milan, right. And, um, Augustine met the bishop there. Uh, the bishop uh, that we've actually talked about in an earlier episode this season on the Commons, uh, Saint Ambrose, brilliant, talented Saint Ambrose, um, and, and this surprising friendship developed between the two men. Now, talk about an odd couple, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, uh, so, can you tell us a bit more about that friendship between Augustine and Ambrose, and? how it developed and the impact that it had on Augustine at this time. Well, Augustine at the University of Carthage, uh, as we've said, was a brilliant student and he became a teacher of rhetoric. And this was, of course, the time of the Roman Empire. And he crossed the Mediterranean um, to what is now Italy and got a gig teaching in Milan. And he was a real up and coming academic. Um, And it seems that in his mind, you know, philosophy and clear, cultivated thinking, a tranquil life inspired by Cicero, who was a great philosopher of the time, um, was his way. And that Christian theology and Christian spirituality was the backward way of his mother, of his, of his past, of his childhood. Um, and yet when he was in, in Milan, he heard the, a preacher, and that preacher was, of course, Ambrose, who was this dynamic bishop, and he was intelligent, he was um, really articulate, people really loved Ambrose. It says that, you know, the, the, the people of the town esteemed him. And so he, Ambrose, in a way, was that connection for Augustine between um, philosophical wisdom of Cicero and a deeper truth in, of Christ. And Ambrose, as, a, as an intelligent, articulate guy um, who was also a loving pastor, I think gave Augustine a whole new idea, which was that, you know, the life of a Christian could be the life of a thinking person, but a person who also lives from the heart and lives out of the spirit. So Ambrose um, was, I think, you know, God's gift to Augustine. He showed him a new way. He was a mentor, a role model in many ways of a Christian who Augustine might um, aspire to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, from my understanding, once um, Augustine was eventually converted, Ambrose actually baptized him. That's right. Which, which I thought was just a, another beautiful part of this story. Um, and it, so Augustine is eventually converted, but not without some great inner turmoil, which I think is another important part of this uh, this story. Um, 
sometimes we kind of want to fast forward to when the conversion happens, but it was a, it was a painful time for Augustine. Um, he was seemingly pulled by both his vices and this, this growing desire to be free from them. So, um, how did Augustine finally come to be converted as far as the circumstances themselves go? Well, Augustine, of course, gives us his own words in his memoir, The Confessions. And we we see, as you say, that he's going back and forth. Um, he, he prays to God, grant me chastity and continence, but not yet. <laughs> he didn't want to <laughs> give up the pleasures that he so enjoyed. So he was tormented. And, you know, I, I see a lot of inner wrangling, a lot of um, work in his head. You know, he's sort of debating in his mind, you know, will he go for God? Will he hold back? He imagines his temptations as companions who have their grip on him. Um, and he's just, it's miserable to read his writing really, because he's, he talks about just hanging by a thread and he's just despairing that he'll never quite be able to give himself over to God. And so he, um, it, and and I love this story. He's out in a garden, and it's one of the most famous stories in all of Christianity. So I'm, I'm sure I'm not. Uh, it's not a new story to many of your listeners, but that just means it should be told again. I agree. So right. there's Augustine. You know, he flings himself on the ground under a fig tree, and he's just sobbing, um, and he's so frustrated with himself, and so unsure about how he will ever, you know, become this uh, person of faith that he he knows that he wants to be. And he hears through his cries, this small high voice singing through the garden. And he can't see if it's a boy or a girl or it's a child, but he hears a chanting and the, the voice says, take it and read, take it and read, take it and read. And he wonders, you know, what this could be. And he, he goes and picks up the Bible because he's he's sort of led to do that by this invitation to take it and read. And he reads the verse from Romans 13, the passage that says, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries, but arm yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. So of course, perfect verse for Augustine. And he just was melted by this verse and and gave himself to the Holy Spirit in that moment. And what I see in this story is, you know, an intellectual guy struggling with his doubts, overthinking, but it's just who he was. And God comes to him not through an airtight argument or apologetics, but through an invitation, uh, a playful singing invitation in a garden to take up the Bible and read. It's, it's almost like God came in through a window or a, a place in his heart that he hadn't even known was there. That's how it seems to me that the, the, the God's creativity and God's kindness, God's tenderness, God's playfulness uh, were at work in finally bringing Augustine um, freedom and liberation from all these struggles that he had had for so many years. Um, so I, I do love this story so much. It's it's fitting too as we're early in the Advent season, as you mentioned, uh, uh, leading to your study of Saint Nicholas, right? Yes. Um, that here you have this brilliant mind uh, who is struggling not only with his own sins and vices, but struggling with his um, 
perhaps his intellectual objections and uh, perhaps even a desire to um, maintain this intellectual um, intellectual superiority. Mm. Um, and and yet he hears, as you said, through the voice of a child, that's where the invitation came from, mm-hmm. right? And, and yeah. we remember Christ coming as a child, and that's how we have to receive him. Yes. Right? It's, um, it's a very powerful picture, a wonderful story. And that's why, you know, yes, familiar story or not, it's, it's so wonderful. Um, thank you for telling it again. Um, now, so after, after his conversion, um, Augustine eventually went back to Africa and was even later appointed to be a bishop. And in that capacity, still his brilliance uh, continued to shine through. He became a great defender of the faith, um, one of the greatest Christian theologians ever, as I mentioned in the introduction. And um, so so tell us a little bit about uh, the, the major works of St. Augustine and um, uh, the major works he left behind and, and their continued influence because uh, his his works are still widely read to this day. Well, we have the benefit of Augustine's writings. He was one of the most prof- prolific Latin authors in terms of surviving work. So yes, you could you could write a lot of dissertations and people have on, on Augustine. We have more than 100 different titles that, that Augustine left behind. You see apologetic works uh, against the heresies of the Arian, Arians, the Manichaeans, you know, all kinds of heretics were a real, <laughs> real problem back in his day, and they still are today, but he wrote mm-hmm. against the heresies of these different um, people as the idea of, of Christianity were being formed um, for all time. So I, I think we can credit Augustine with um, really being a, a, a powerful influence on what we have received, uh, the legacy of Orthodox Christian belief. Um, he wrote a lot of texts on Christian doctrine. He wrote commentaries on uh, the Bible, on Genesis, Psalms, Paul's letters. We have many sermons and letters because, of course, as a bishop, he did a whole lot of preaching. But of course, the the work that we know best um, was his Confessions, which is this personal account of his early life from the beginning through his conversion and and on through his life. And it's such a formative work in American or in Western culture. And I know that for many university students, they read the Confessions in, in different classes because it's such an important model of this memoir and a, a telling of one story. And I love uh, the confessions because, of course, we see the real Augustine, and we also see the way that he tells his story and also, through this story, thanks God for guarding his life, for seeing his his path, and for keeping his heart all through these years. So, you know, he's, he's looking back on his life through the eyes of faith, and what he sees is of course his, his struggles and his confusion, but also God's faithfulness. Um, so it, 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 again, it, it, once it's a personal work, but it's also a work of great literature. Um, the city of God was another book that, that is, he's very well known for. Um, and I'm told that he wrote the city of God to restore the confidence of his fellow Christians because the sack of Rome by the Visigoths in, in 410, um, that was, you know, much on the minds of these people at the time. And, and Augustine was wanting to, as a pastor, encourage and give them hope, um, for God's faithfulness and God's presence during that very chaotic time um, of the Roman Empire. 
Um, he wrote a lot about the Trinity, on on the on free will, many of the doctrines that we know and, and discuss today. Um, we can often trace back to um, concerns that Augustine had. And of course, you know, there's the quote about, you know, our heart is restless until we find our rest in thee. There are words and poems by Augustine that um, are part of our culture even now, and some of us don't know where these these words come from. But um, yes, he certainly had a huge influence on Western culture and on other Christian thinkers who follow him. Uh, from would, Brian, do you have a, fa- a favorite work of Augustine's? Oh, well, I think it would have to be the confessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so no, um, no surprise there, mm-hmm. I guess. I think that's probably for most. Um, w- one thing that, uh, about the confessions that I think is important, particularly for our audience, because, um, most of our listeners, though, not all, but most of our listeners are, uh, classical educators. So they're, uh-huh. they're, uh, teachers, they're homeschooling moms, uh, headmasters even, and so um, I think I, I, I want to draw out just echoing back to Monica, mm. how she, this whole time she's still behind the scenes. Um, mm. You know, there's, there's her son who is the brilliant uh, professor, the teacher, the, um, the rebellious son, the, uh, the friend of, of Ambrose, uh, and then rises to be a prominent Bishop, one of the greatest minds in uh, uh, Western civilization and uh, and mm. that the church has ever known, but behind all of that, there was a praying mother. Yes, um, and so um, you know, I, I think I would be remiss if I if I didn't just kind of highlight that again. That even in the Confessions, Augustine mentions this um, among the many things he thanks God for was his praying mother. Uh, that she was there, um, even when, you know, not, not the public face, um, there she was praying for her son. Um, and that's a, that's a powerful image. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm sure every man listening to the podcast can say, um, you know, none of us were model sons. Um, and many of us are where we are because of praying mothers. And so here's, here's St. Augustine who bears that same testimony that, um, uh, you know, the prayers of the saints, you know, the faithful prayers offered on behalf of, uh, those who are, um, going wayward or, uh, making very bad decisions. Um, those don't go unheard. Yeah. Um, and so to, to echo her Bishop, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is impossible, uh, it cannot be that the son of these tears should perish. So I just, I think that that needs to be highlighted all over again. So for all of you moms out there or teachers praying for students that you're very concerned about or headmasters dealing with the same, um, it's certainly a, a wonderful truth to keep in mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm the mother of three, three kids and the youngest is a freshman in college now. And I've just, I, I do, I take this very personally because I think it's, mm. it's so, we are so bound by time and by circumstance and we see our children um, making decisions or living uh, in a way that, you know, we would not choose for them. And it's, it is a very difficult thing um, to live in trust that, that God um, has, has reached us and God will reach them. And that is God's work and God's privilege. Um, because of course we would, I, I'm just 
you know, I love to back channel and the, the, the image of Monica going to the pastor to try to get him to intervene. I mean, I really understand that one. Um, <laughs> right. and of course, you know, even after his advice, which is leave him be and pray for him, there were years that went by when, um, there was really no, uh, very little on the surface that would have encouraged Monica probably, or, or told her that he was, he was making a turn and on the right path. So, uh, yeah, trust and hope in God, uh, real trust is, is a very difficult thing. And yet, you know, when you step back and think of it theologically or just logically, if, if God is, um, who we believe that God is and God is loving and the Holy Spirit is alive, then, um, you know, why wouldn't God use creative ways to reach our children and and speak into their lives in ways that surprise them and and ways that surprise us. And our timing is, um, may not play into it. And that, that's a painful thing I know for many of us. It, It is. Um, it is a very tough thing to remember that God's promises are true even when we can't see how they possibly could be at the moment. Right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. there, that's a real struggle. Um, and we've, this, um, next question is something that we've been kind of hitting all around in this conversation, but I want to give you a chance to elaborate if there's anything else you'd like to add. Um, as I mentioned earlier, your, your book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, uh, it combines these biographical sketches of important Christians, but also autobiography. Um, because you address how each of those Christians have influenced your life. So how, how has St. Augustine, uh, whether it's his life or his, his writings, uh, influenced you? I, you know, I do love the story of Augustine because he, he feels to me so familiar, you know, living with, uh, surrounded by college students as I am here at the University of Virginia, you know, teaching them every Friday as they come through the door, filling their plates with food and and then telling me their problems and their struggles. And he, he, he seems to me like a brother in, in a way. Um, and I, I, I think another thing that, that a way that he's influenced me is, has really given me, um, encouragement in, in being a thinker and being a student, um, in being a person who loves the, the life of the mind, uh, an intellectual. You know, Augustine was a brilliant thinker, not only as an undergrad uh, studying rhetoric, but as you said, a bishop who wrote and preached. And um, I see in him, you know, a person who loved to learn, who loved to think about ideas and, you know, saw these um, this interest as a gift of God, that his intellectual life was not something to fear, but it was something to embrace and um, be used for the glory of God. So I, I see him as a model of a pastor and a thinker um, and a very lively person, of course, who had all kinds of experiences. And because of his confessions, um, which I would encourage everyone to read, it's really surprisingly uh, accessible for a text that's so old. Um, it, it has that personal quality that I think you feel like you've, you've really met. You've really met the man and you've really uh, walked through his struggles with him. Mm-hmm. So I think when I think of Augustine, I think of um, the feelings I have are respect and, and real affection. Um, now, for our listeners who would like to learn a little bit more about St. Augustine, this um, I love these podcasts because there's such a, a great introduction to uh, these saints 
uh, gone before us and uh, different movements in church history. But um, for those listeners who, after hearing this, say, all right, I want to learn more about this guy, um, what would you recommend? What resources would you direct them to? Yes. Well, of course, Vintage Saints and Sinners, you'll get Augustine in 2,000 words. <laughs> the chapters are pretty short. Um, and I would say um, read uh, the confessions, you know, go right to the the source. I find that primary texts are often um, so um, helpful and interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a new biography, which I have not read, but it's a biography of Monica that was recommended to me. It came out a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, there are some smaller works on Augustine. It, it is not hard to find books on Augustine, but I would say go, go to the confessions um, or even go online and look up sermons. You know, there's so much you could just pick up and read online sermons, um, short mm-hmm. pieces of his that give you a, a, a taste for, you know, what some of his um, thinking was all about. Um, but yeah, they're they're really great, great resources. But I always say go to the source, um, but check out that biography of Monica, because that's that's one that I'd like to read. And I would love to hear from one of your listeners if they read it, you know, what they thought of it, because she's the one I'm I'm interested in right now in my place in life as a mother. Right. And um, we will try, uh, given that, we'll try to make sure that we include uh, a link to those books, uh, particularly the biography on Monica, in the show notes uh, on our website. Great. I'll send that to you, Brian. Oh, great. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, Karen Marsh, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed talking with you about St. Augustine, really enjoyed the book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. Um, So thanks again for joining me today. Thank you, Brian. All the best. Well, once again, to Karen Marsh, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, And for all of you listening, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Commons. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was uh, as inspiring to you as it was to me. So tune in next week for episode five, when I'll be joined by uh, special guest David Hicks discussing the life and work of St. Benedict. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 